Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I am Steve Norman and this week joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Callum Petch. Hello. And Matt Lamborn. And very good evening to you all. As we take a look at the last week or so in film is what can be best described as a near enough to an anime special as we're going to get with a review <laughs> of the new Ghost in the Shell as well as some other anime bits and pieces as well. We're going to start off with the quiz, and Owen lost last week, and wasn't able to watch the Jennifer Lopez film I wanted him to watch, but did find another one on Netflix. Yeah, because surprise, surprise, it wasn't on Netflix, Steve. Well, it was meant to be. I saw <laughs> an article that was that was reasonably recent uh-huh. of the of the worst films on Netflix, UK as well. It was you know specifically the UK Netflix, and it was there, so it must have been recently removed. Yeah, but it doesn't matter because I have watched The Boy Next Door. That was on Netflix, which is the Jennifer Lopez starring. Um, I'm going to call it a mystery thriller, but there's not really much thrills to be had. I mean, you could call it a Bloomhouse movie as well. I think that basically covers all bases. Exactly. exactly. It's not much, there's not much mystery to it either. No. Well, so it has a plot. I can, I can give it that. It has a story, which is that Jennifer Lopez is a teacher in a school and um, a, well, I think it's a college and there's an English student, well, student moves to the house next door um he's of school age anyway and she has a fling with him and she's in the process of getting divorced from her husband but is sort of not sure whether she should and then it turns out the the boy is a bit of a creepy stalker fella a bunny boiler but you know the opposite way around i guess i I wanted to hate it i didn't hate it i could recognize that it's very bad i could recognize it's terrible (laughs) but I, i didn't find it so disgustingly offensive that I had to storm off from, you know, the living room, go and take a walk outside and calm down. And it wasn't that kind of bad. But there were things in it that... Because there were things in it, like, there's an eye gouge scene, right? Which is very graphic. And it is kind of, like, horrifying. And it's the kind of thing that I was not expecting. And because it had something like that in there, that I was kind of not taken with it but just sort of I had a bit of begrudging respect for it doing something quite that grim um which is like a hypodermic needle shoved into someone's eye but it's really graphic and you it's like it reminded me of zombie flesh eaters if any of you have seen 
zombie flesh eaters where there's an eye gouge in that and it's it's all practical effects and you see the thing going to the eye the eye bursts and all that um which i later found out that scene was cut from the uk theatrical release so people who saw this in the cinema the poor bastards who went and spent money to watch this in the cinema um won't have seen the best scene in it because it was cut so they could get a 15 rated Ah, uh, but now they can get that sweet money reselling it for the unrated version, which nah, is, you know, still true. rated, but... Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it, 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 I don't know if, you're, if your plan was to make me detest it, Steve, was to just find the worst Jennifer Lopez kind of shite that was on there, that, you know, because you banned me from watching the Jason Statham film. Um, yeah. I was gonna say, like, like in fairness, I feel like basically his, like, like his plan basically kind of failed when the first film wasn't there. So maybe we'll just put picked any Jennifer <laughs> just, Lopez film that came up and was like, yeah, sure, that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, it wasn't my crowning glory. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't Kill Keith. Hey, yeah. hey, maybe maybe this could start a new era of fail critics quiz forfeits, where instead of watching television, we should recommend quietly mediocre movies mm. instead of out there build back up to just doing good stuff again wouldn't that be nice yeah. wouldn't that be nice we're not it, the, no it's not going to go back to good films ever <laughs> yeah no it's, I didn't say good films I said like that kind of passable mediocrity yeah well just to bore people just to bore the other person into submission rather than make them watch an offensively yeah. bad film just make them bored Okay, I, actually, I, when you put it like that, you make it a good point, especially since you could just go to the cinema nowadays and get most of the, and get the exact same reaction, really. Yeah, but, so. it's, but it's but it's probably more it's probably more frustrating to be bored by a film than actively annoyed by how bad a film is. Yeah, but it's harder it's harder to talk about it if it's but if we have we do a podcast, so I mean it's fine to be bored by it, but then you've got to come on here and talk about it, and if all you just go if all you do is go, meh, nah, nah, it was alright, it wasn't bad. It's not yeah. really fun to listen to. Whereas this, I mean, it wasn't boring because it was yeah. so stupid. You know, things like th- when he's trying, when this this stalker, this boy next door is trying to woo Jennifer Lopez. He gives her, remember, she's an English teacher. He gives her a first edition copy of the Iliad. Symbolism. Mm. But it's, uh, and then there's things like, what really like surprised me, I literally had to rewind it and watch it again. I was like, did I miss something? She ran out of her house. Like she's, she's a bit freaked out, right? So she, I'm not, I'm trying not to give the, the plot away exactly, but she's a bit freaked out by something. So she runs out the house, runs to her car, gets in the passenger side and then climbs across to the driver's side instead of just running around to the driver's side. She's not expecting anybody to be there. She's just trying to get into her car. Why? That's not <laughs> normal. Well, <laughs> well similarly on the wifey, it, like, is it just because it's sort of weird that that kind of that that specific mid nineties domestic psychological horror uh, subgenre of scary boyfriends threatening women mm. that subgenre appears to be becoming a thing again? Like between this No Good Deed, there was another one last year as well that I can't remember. Yeah. that came out in like August and made a bunch of money. But it's it's weird that's coming back now, isn't it? It's so. I think Catherine Heigl's in one in a couple of weeks. Mm. Well, the- I don't know. I'm not actually sure what Unforgettable's about, but I just see that poster. I'm pretty sure I can tell you right now it's meant to be an erotic thriller in massive air quotes. Well, the kind of thing that used to be on Channel Five at like eleven at night on exactly. A Friday. <laughs> exactly. That specific thing. So this is directed by Rob Cohen who is the guy who made The Fast and the Furious, or directed The Fast and the Furious, uh, and directed XXX, Triple X. And, you know, those films are, I would say, incredibly unsexy. I just don't... 
I think they're a bit yes, yeah, yeah. like they're horrible. And I think he struggles to portray female characters as anything but things that are defined yeah, by things that are on being screen. sexual. It's like so things. desperate to yeah, like so desperate to prove like macho credentials and that. But like, like, here's some ass, here's some boobs, here's some cars, vroom vroom, and all that stuff. And it's kind of it's kind of adorable, really, and like offensive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't. I'm not so aff- particularly offended by. It. I just don't think he's very good at portraying female characters. And what's weird about this is that he has been brought in to direct this. It stars Jennifer Lopez as a middle-aged mom. And she, uh, the script is written by someone called Barbara Curry, who I didn't know who that was. I decided I had to look up who, who Barbara Curry was. This is her first credit, uh, according to IMDb. But get this, she's actually an assistant US attorney in downtown LA. She was doing that for a decade, <laughs> right, before writing this, like, um, you know, Jennifer Lopez vehicle. She worked, wow. she worked in the major violent crimes unit. So she dealt with things like murder, kidnapping, uh, armed robbery, bank robberies, that kind of thing. Uh, she's taught criminal procedure at the FBI headquarters. So she's clearly not a fucking idiot. And she clearly knows a bit about crime, like real life crime. So how... She probably just doesn't know much about screenwriting. But obviously not about screenwriting, because how this has resulted from that, I can only assume she put down like a, a kind of realistic script and then it was made into this trash. And I can only assume that was by Rob Corrin, Cohen. Are you sure? Are you sure you've not confused two people with the same name? I'm pretty sure. It's all on her IMD <laughs> profile, Barbara Curry. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I'm looking at Rob Cohen's directorial uh, like rap, like sheet here now, and it, like especially the further on, it gets more. It reads like a rap sheet, quite frankly. Um, stealth. The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, Alex Cross, like the, all those before that, and also Ramstein video apparently, which I guess explains their appearance <laughs> that, in Triple X. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's not a surprise, is it? <laughs> um, yeah, but the, the the film's got a lot to hate it for. But I just, like I said, I just didn't hate it. I think the worst thing about it is the tagline: "A moment she couldn't resist, an obsession he can't control," which I find. I do find that a little bit offensive because, you know, it's like, yeah, he's he's just obsessed. It's not his fault he's a psychopathic, murdering, um, jealous freak. But She should have just learned to, to say no. Exactly. She, it's her fault for being a bit of a slut, isn't it? So that I find a bit weird. And like, like it's the fact that she couldn't resist him and led him on. So what was she expecting? And the plot plays out a bit like that as well, which is like creepy. And unfortunately, unfortunately, like a lot of the erotic thriller kind of genre and tropes, and that is clouded in that kind of problematic, um, like stere- like um, stereotypes and yeah, falsehoods. Yeah. Though, is the problem like that's like uh, 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 unless you're actively working to subvert that, you're going to end up causing unfortunate implications like that. Um, mm. I'm not excusing it. I'm just I'm just saying like a film Explain. like this does not strike me as kind of one that's actively going out of its way to fix that kind of no no, i don't think so i think we've given this film far too much time um (laughs) especially on an what is meant to be an anime special of sorts so should we ask some actual questions and move towards the next awful film one of us got to watch (laughs) yeah i would matt i think you may you may do quite well at this one because you are you have been our resident anime expert since we began oh no pressure then yeah well this is a quiz all about forgotten 80s and 90s anime movies and Oof. I know I've brought back a, an old style of quiz that we did that was quite fun the last time we did it. Um, I've got three premises, three synopsis 
for three different movies each and you have to guess the fake one. So two of these um, synopses I'm going to read out, they are real. They are real anime movies from the 80s and 90s and one I have made up completely. Three rounds, three questions each. Steve, do you want to go first? Yeah, put the pressure on them. <laughs> exactly. Right. Your first premise is a film called Angel's Egg. And the, the premise is a mysterious young girl wonders a desolate, otherworldly landscape carrying a large egg. Yeah. The next one is Bazooka Hanape. A lecherous high school boy, Hanape, is granted the power of the Hanape Bazooka by two demons. Now, his index finger is capable of both a deadly blast and the ability to drive women into a lustful frenzy. And the third one, Hyper Mouse Zero. A super intelligent high school girl adapts her computer mouse into a transforming robotic crime fighter. One of those is fake. I'm going to say B is fake. But if you had said tentacle at <laughs> any point in that description, I would have said that was real. Okay, so you're saying... But I'm going to say B is fake. That is real. There is a real film about a guy who's been given the power by demons to turn his finger into a deadly blast and to drive women into a lustful frenzy. That's a real movie. Yeah, I would have said that was real. Yeah, me too. Hypermouse Zero is the fake one. Who wants an obvious joke? Go on then. My finger does that. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Hmm. <laughs> right, Callum. This this doesn't tra- this doesn't translate well on like for an audio podcast, but I'm shaking my head. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> right, Callum, Matt, you are together as a team, and uh, your three uh, synopsis synopsi synopses. Project Aiko. A city is miraculously reborn just 16 years after being completely destroyed by a giant meteor. At the prestigious Graviton High School for Girls, two new students are introduced, Aiko and her ditzy sidekick, Seiko. That one's definitely real. I've heard it before, which I've watched Mm -hmm. parts of it. Okay. The Everlasting Crusade. After a group of intergalactic soldiers light jump into outer deep space, they return to Earth 10 years later. But relativity means that 100 years have passed back home and they are now the rebels on the losing team. Or the film Big Wars. In the future, war rages on Mars. Captain Aiku and his crew are on a top-secret mission to destroy an enemy warship when an officer is stricken with an alien mind-control plague. So... Project Aiko, The Everlasting Crusade, or Big Wars? Well, we know Project Aiko is definitely right. Um, hmm. mm. I find, I'm struggling to, to think that there's, there's going to be a Mars Wars one after there was a Venus Wars genuine one, which I did a write-up on the site about, but I couldn't You did? Wrong. Yeah. What do you reckon, Colin? I was going to say... I mean, I'm probably, like, the, the exception of that one instance at the beginning, um, I don't think I'm actually probably going to do well at this. I feel <laughs> like C's probably wrong, though. Like, I feel like C's the fake one. It, Big it sounds too generic and, like, not like like not, not specifically culturally Japanese. It feels too Western yeah, to be let's real. let's go with that, then. I'd say. Well, you are wrong. Big oh. Wars is real. Oof. Great. Great. I'm a racist. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> 
Back to you then, Steve. Um, still nil-nil. You've got Yen Den Blaster. After falling into Tokyo's criminal underworld and promoted straight to Big Boss's bodyguard, Yen Den discovers a secret world of demonic creatures that the Yakuza protect civilization from. Or Goku Midnight Eye. In the near future, a former cop turned private investigator is captured whilst investigating a string of suicides in the special forces, but awakens to find he has an electronic eye that can control any computer in the world. Or Space Adventure Cobra. Cobra and a bounty hunter, Jane Flower, are drawn into direct confrontation with the Galactic Guild, a vast criminal organisation led by Lord Necron. Necron plans to crash a wandering planet into the seventh galaxy's principal supernova and obliterate all life. So you've got Yenden Blaster, Goku Midnight Eye, or Space Adventure Cobra. Who's got the magic finger in this one? <laughs> it's a magic eye that controls all computers. Mm. I'm trying to think which one sounds like the one that you would have actually made up. Mm-hmm. I think it's A. The uh, Tokyo Underworld Criminal Civilization Demon thing? Yeah. That is fake. I made that one up. The other two are real. So, yeah. For, for the record, by the way, that last one, so I'm pretty sure, was the exact plot of the epilogue to Asura's Wrath. Like, j- 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 just just putting that out there. I'm pretty sure that's exactly how the ending of the video game Asura's Wrath went off on. <laughs> well, there you go. Which one nobody, came first? N- no, nobody is, nobody is going to get that joke, but you sure go play Asura's Wrath. Okay, that's that's my advice to you today. I imagine there'll be like one or two people listening to this episode who've just had massive belly laughs and everyone else has just gone, what? Ma- ma- maybe they also listen to the Character Unlocked podcast as part oh, of the Critics Podcast Network. That's a very nice plug. Thank you, Callum. you're welcome (laughs) okay but this is your chance now to draw level with steve so Callum, matt yeah i'm i'm just gonna leave it to matt okay (laughs) that's my advice here okay you've got the restaurant of many orders two young british hunters get lost in the woods and discover a strange restaurant are the hunters about to discover how it feels to be hunted you've got bounty dog In the future, mankind has colonised the bleak expanses of the moon, but there are alien forces that do not want mankind to succeed, and only one man can stop them. He is a member of the Bounty Dog Investigation Unit, a high-tech cybernetic mercenary team. Sorry, I just want to say, my heart legitimately sank when you said that only one man could stop him and didn't immediately go, and that man is a dog. (laughs) I I, I am heartbroken. I am actually heartbroken. And Lord Chef King is the last one. Head Chef Danzo Sushi at the prestigious futuristic Hotel Love reluctantly takes on a young high school girl apprentice whose murder at the hands of Kingpin Sho Kasumi begins a feud too hot for this kitchen. So, <laughs> wow. One of those three is fake. If it wasn't in the future, I would absolutely, I would, I would fully believe that one's real. Like, like, I, I, but at the same time, again, I was wrong last time, so I don't know. <laughs> they all sound mm. very plausible in the world of anime, though. That's the trouble. Um, that's the idea. Yeah. Yes. Um, if they sound plausible, I've done a good job. But I was going to say somebody's been doing my job. <laughs> uh, I'm leaning towards C. Callum, what do you reckon? I'm going to go C, and purely for the fact that again, something like that, I feel like. A, a, it was the 80s, though, is the problem. <laughs> like, like, 
Like, like, like, again, like, if it were more modern day, I'd actually fully believe that as, like, a more slice-of-life type um, thing, but... Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say C and then blame Matt if it's wrong. Well, you can thank Matt because it's correct. Yay. So, hey. one all, Lord Chef King is fake. All right, Steve, this is the last round. Okay, Vampire Death and the Hell Savages. Corporal Hashimi breaks the seal above Hell's Gate in his search for the ultimate power, but inadvertently unleashes the most fierce demons known to man. Oh, he didn't want to do that. Mm, that was a mistake. In order to send them back to hell, the Grim Reaper must beg Helsing to teach him how to become a vampire to give him the strength to vanquish his evil foe. Or, you've got Dirty Pear, Project Eden, sent to the planet Adjourna to investigate a feud between two opposing factions, Kay and Yuri must find out why strange creatures are attacking Vesorium test plants. Or, Riding Bean. A superhuman outlaw courier and his female partner slash manager are framed for the kidnapping of a millionaire's daughter. Vampire Death and the Hell Savages. Dirty Pear or Riding Bean? I think C. Riding Bean? Hmm. Is it incorrect? Vampire Death and the Hell Savages is one I made up. So... Did you specifically put Helsing in there to like throw everybody off? Because Helsing's a real property. It is. Well, I, originally I wrote uh, Count Dracula, and I was I, I was reading these to Elisa beforehand, and she said, "No, they wouldn't have Count Dracula." So I said, "All right then, Helsing, that'll do." <laughs> yeah. By the way, that last one sounds amazing. I need to I, I, I need to make a note of that after we're done here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Callum, Matt, this is it. You could win, and we won't need the tie break if you do. Um, so. Dragon's Heaven. 1,000 years after the war of 3195 AD between robots and humans, Cheyenne, a sentient combat armour, wakes to find his old enemy is still alive and doing battle in Brazil. Specifically. <laughs> yeah, in Brazil, specifically. Digital devil story, Goddess Reborn. Handsome high school student, Akimi, is a computer genius. One day, a new girl, Yumiko, transfers to his class from another school. She quickly falls in love with Akimi, but, absorbed in his computer, he pays her no attention at all. Akimi accidentally summons demons who wreak chaos on his enemies and friends. Of, of course, I was waiting for the demon mention yep. there, so, seeing as that apparently is the through line for all these. <laughs> or, Gilded Red Rooster. The last survivors of the dying Earth travel across the stars in their spaceship, the Gilded Red Rooster, with a terraforming egg which gives humanity one last chance to start again until they are attacked by an unknown enemy ravager ship. So you've got Dragon's Heaven, Digital Devil Story, or Gilded Red Rooster, which is the fake. Good God. (laughs) What do you reckon, Callum? There's a part of me that's leaning towards B for the sole fact that I'm pretty, that, like, even though, I don't even know if Owen knows this or not, there, there's a video game, uh, Shin Megami Tensei Digital Devil Saga. I feel like he probably just changed the name of something about <laughs> there and made something up based <laughs> off of that. Oh, is it a double plausible. <laughs> Look at the logic there, how can I not go B? Digital Devil Story, Goddess Reborn? If you're waiting for me to confirm this, I'm not confirming anything. Okay? Well, you I'm accepting it as your answer, so you are incorrect. It was Gilded Red Rooster was the fake one about a, a spaceship called Red Rooster that has a terraforming egg inside of it. Um, 
I feel like we probably should have seen that coming because I think eggs were already part of this as well. Oh, yeah. So it had to be like it had to be a switch back at some point, I guess. Angel's oh, egg, egg. Was the very first one I read. There you go. Uh, okay, so we're on to a tie break then. Here we go. I'm going to give you an anime and a synopsis. Right, this is real, and you have to guess its IMDb rating. Steve, you can go first. I'll be supporting and say you can go first. And then if you're wrong, I'll say whether uh, the next guess needs to be lower or higher. Does that make sense? Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, but I want it exactly, by the way. I want the exact to the decimal point IMDb rating. I, 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 I'm ready for you to get your boost for so I've played your cards right on here, <laughs> Owen. Let's do it. Okay, so the film is called Space Firebird. In the year 2772, a young cadet is sent to capture a mystical universal phoenix, which possesses the power to rejuvenate the drained earth. Now, based on 351 ratings, its overall rating out of 10 is, Steve? Nine, no, 7.2. You cheating fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you, I'm not I'm even... I'm a cheat. Yeah, I'm not even giving you that. <laughs> I was going to say, he, cl- he clearly looked it up. Come on. I thought looked it up. I was half asleep. Yeah, 7.2, <laughs> just straight off the top of your head. I promise you, I swear I do not believe that for one second. Wow, controversial. I can't believe my integrity has been questioned. I genuinely haven't looked that up. I promise you. I just don't believe you. I honestly, that 7.2 on the nose, first guess. I could I could screenshot my internet history. <laughs> if it wasn't so embarrassing and incriminating. Right. <laughs> what do you two think? Do you believe him? Bear in mind, there's nothing really in it for you guys other than... Yeah, I was going to say, but there's not really anything to be on. But yeah, fuck it, just give... You might as well just give him it. Right. If you want Owen to watch something awful again, then then it's in your interest to let me win. Unless you want Steve to watch something awful. I feel, I feel like he's got plenty of other chances to to claw it back. You've got to make him watch a bad anime. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to find the absolute worst. You've given me a mission now, Steve. I'm determined to win the next two quizzes, and I'm gonna make you watch something absolutely diabolical. But I will give you the point. I'm just unhappy you've accused me of cheating. <laughs> Seven point two. Fuck off, is it? <laughs> For this week's What We've Been Watching, everybody has been tasked with watching an anime film as it's the release of the live-action version of Ghost in Shell. Uh, Callum, what have you seen this week? Uh, going straight to me to get me out of the way first. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, I took this opportunity to be able to sit down and re-watch first up in a while uh, one of my favourite animes, Black Lagoon, uh, based on a manga by Rihiro. Um, apologies if I'm pronouncing anything wrong. I'm bad it's... Been to happen about um, 10 15 times on this episode, so I wouldn't worry yeah. about it, just go with it. Yeah, uh, yeah, based on the manga by Vihiro. Uh, it's kind of hard to describe, really, mainly because, like, like in a way, it is an action series based around pirate, pirate mercenaries, um, known as the Lagoon Company, hot headed, gun toting Revy, uh, the cool, calm leader, like, captain of the crew Dutch, and the snarky tech guy Benny, who in the opening pilot essentially about that are tasked with kidnapping a boring old uh like pushover business guy uh, by the name of rock 
to steal drives and all that stuff. But through circumstances and exposure, that becomes part of their crew, and we follow them on wacky adventures, which range all the way from ridiculous com- comedic action fests to serious introspectiveness about Nazism and selfishness and all that stuff to utter lunacy and back again and like careening back and forth just wild black between wild black comedy and dead serious um like miserable plot lines that are also happen to involve chainsaw wielding teenagers <laughs> it, it's 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 mad but in a way that i really 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 like like for one it's, it's gorgeous to look at um it's i mean it's by uh like the animations do a madhouse though so of course it of course it looks pretty but also just the way that even despite the constantly careening tone and the wildness of the thing, like, like, because in a way it's basically just most about, you know, like criminal towns essentially out there and luxuriating in criminal underworlds where everybody in a town happens to have guns and is indebted to some kind of gangsters somewhere. But it's definitely works is that even with, even despite all of its crazy moments like that, it actually does have really well written and um, entertaining characters who work even below the gimmicks some of them can end up being attached with. For example, like, of course, the runaway star of the main series is like of the various guest characters that pop in and out of the show map there is roberta a um maid to a uh i believe like cartel kingpin who it turns out to have had training of a sort and is less like a maid a kindly old maid and more like a terminator <laughs> but, but in a way that's ridiculous in the moment back there but still works for giving it sh- like giving her shading and depth and characterization back there so you can actually like get invested in the overall line state understand that even whilst bullets are flying and one lies being thrown around there's a genuine kind of like sadness to the thing that kind of works it ground it like grounds the series as it goes along even before it starts taking turn into the wildly depressing in its final quarter also uh i know that this that the sub versus dub argument rankles many in the anime community um the i i i, I have have never watched black lagoon without the dub um, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, the dub just adds too much. It's too perfectly done. Like, it's too perfectly handled, for one. Um, I think, you know what, just on that point, just very briefly, I know I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I mean, I think there is that like, okay. argument that it, it doesn't matter what film it is. If it's a an anime film um, that's come out of China, there's a few that have come out of Korea, um, and, you know, uh, King of Pigs and... Escaflown and all those kind of things. It doesn't matter what country it's from. There's always an argument about a dub or a sub. And I think when a dub, mm. and particularly it happens with Studio Ghibli things, because they get proper big actors to come in and dub their things. I think as long as the acting's yeah. good, if the dub's good, it doesn't matter, does it? I mean, yeah. Often with older I mean, I mean, animes, I mean, I personally see that. Yeah, but... with older animes, you often get like really bad translations in the subs anyway. So it's usually yeah fine with a dub for me. Uh, like, no, no, I, like, like, I get, I get the argument for many people. Um, the, uh, like, it's just about actually experiencing, you know, like other cultures from out there and translate, like, and trying to yeah, put things sure. through other ways and all that stuff from out there. Um, so, and also, and yeah, again, then there is also that um, issue of, especially in the earlier um, years of anime mm. making its crossover into the Western world when it, like, the dubs were mostly atrocious. Um, because you know, again, but anime's had a bit of an image problem, mm-hmm. as you can probably like like around here, map there. So that gets stopped by there. But um, like as as for Black Lagoon though, like the, the dub is perfect name because in a lot of its best moments, Black Lagoon kind of does resemble a ridiculous, wild, over the top action movie. Um, 
like especially if it's action sequences out there and american ones in particular out there especially since a lot of the shows like reference pools even whilst it's doing more crazier and distinctly japanese sort of um touches uh especially in a final uh in the final arc of the main series which deals with um warring faction with uh, various warring factions of yakuza uh muscling in romanapo and all that stuff um it's that like the, the show's reference pulls for dialogues which that mainly come from american or at least in the translating that way like uh, uh, steeped a lot in that kind of american action movie even though there's you know also parts of like john woo and such as well so the dub um essentially for, for me it just fits be- it just fits better um especially with the way that the show handles swearing and also it's perfect casting um like with uh, marie kendrick as Revy is just like owns that part totally in such a way that it, like you couldn't see anything else, like I couldn't see anything else. Um, I I just really like it. It's a lot of fun to watch. I remember that um, like like uh like when I first got it, I was I was watching a fair bit of it online, and then um I had a trip down to London at one point to an anime store that's not there anymore. Well, an anime manga store that's not there anymore. Uh, found it on DVD, immediately bought it, and then proceeded to over the course of like three days just binge through the entire thing from start to finish. Um. <laughs> I even remember waiting for the um, Roberta's Blood Trail OAV to actually get over to the UK. I had it on pre-order and was jerked around for months because it kept getting delayed. And then it came and I watched it all in one night because I had no social life at the beginning <laughs> of my uni. But also because it was great. Mm. Um, it's all on Netflix, if I remember as well. So you can easily give it a shot on that. I really, I really, 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 really like it. Um, and it's a lot of fun. So, there. I have seen it on Netflix and... It's quite short, isn't it? It's only like, is it thirteen? Yeah, 12, 12. Epi- twelve episodes for the first two. Yeah, twelve episodes for the first two seasons, and then a five episode OV- OAV after mm-hmm. um, OVA. Yeah, OVA yeah. Um, afterwards. Uh, called the, uh, Roberta's Blood Trail, but uh, yeah, like it, it's nice and short. It's in and out. It does what it needs to do and gets out. And it's again, it, it creates between being a lot of fun and incredibly depressing, but it's always entertaining to watch. Um, so. Cool. Yeah, I, I I recommend it. I feel like a lot of people should see it. Netflix is is quite good for some of these shows. You know, things like um, Attack on Titan and Death Note. You know, some of the more popular stuff is on here. They've added Cowboy Bebop as well. I think quite recently. Um, and you know, there's a, there's a lot of decent stuff available on Netflix now. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, like like it's it's nice it's nice to see them come back. So I remember I think like maybe a year ago or something about there, the anime section was just barren for ages. Mm-hmm. Um, again, because there's a time where there's a lot of stuff. Because uh, that's where I first watched the original Ghost of Michelle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it might even still be on there, which would be which might even be my recommendation for when we're finished here. <laughs> uh, Do you know what I think it was though? It's because they opened Netflix in sort of Asian countries, didn't they? They moved to Japan and uh, China and places like that. Or not, are they in China? I don't know. Anyway, they moved to sort of Asia and. So I think they then started to add more to Netflix, and so we just got the the, the benefit of that because they put them on all all regions. But in in any case, it's nice to see mm, them back. Definitely. It's nice to see this, a lot of this stuff back. So there we go. Okay, um, Owen, what have you seen this week? Well, I I kind of nabbed one of the more popular options. I think uh, not that we set options beforehand, but um, I know Matt, you and I have talked about this half a dozen times already. Um, off the podcast usually, um, and I think Callum, you were uh, you you enjoy this film as well. But I, I watched Perfect Blue again. Um, no, it's not called Perfect Blue again. I've watched again Perfect Blue, um, which is directed by Satoshi Khan, who wrote the best segment I think of the anthology anime Memories, 
the first segment, Magnetic Rose, which is like a sci-fi thing on a spaceship, and it's, it's a bit weird, and I like that very much. He also did three films that I haven't seen, but I always hear really great things about it. He did Paprika, Millennium Actress, and Tokyo Godfathers. He also did Paranoia Agent. Yes. Which is fantastic. So, those of you who are more well-versed in his work than I am, of those four, uh, I mean, what's the what's the order? Are they good? Are they worth seeking out? Well, I saw Perfect Blue a, a very long time ago, right when my sort of interest in the subject matter was, was at its peak. Um, and mm-hmm. it wowed me back then, although I'm sure I was probably far too young to truly appreciate how good it was. <laughs> and I've not seen it in such a long time, but I'm fairly sure it's one of those ones that's going to hold up very well. The, the rest of his body of work I'm, I'm less familiar with, so I'll just have to take okay. your your expertise on that one. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I remember being entirely wowed by this back in the day. It was very stylish, uh, universally acclaimed by the writers of the day, as I remember, so it's got to be up there amongst some of the, the best animes ever made. I think it's... Um, and it's terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's It's so well known over here i think because it's so different to a lot of other um anime there's no like techno stuff in it there's no um you know weird demons or creatures or spaceships or it, it it's just a, a thriller a psychological thriller um and in fact i Forgot about it until I read it on the IMDb trivia page for Perfect Blue. It is eerily similar to Black Swan by Darren Aronofsky in terms of... Yeah, because uh, Aronofsky bought the rights um, to do the bath- to homage bathtub scene for Requiem, Requiem for a Dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like, like Black Swan is basically him doing his version of Perfect Blue. It, yeah, exactly, um, yeah. Way. So I think people who... Probably also explains why it's so terrifying. Yeah, and, and also so brilliant as well. So, I mean, like, the plot to Perfect Blue, I'm going to describe it in as much detail as I can that doesn't reveal anything, because it is a mystery story of sorts anyway, Um, because it constantly keeps you guessing, trying to figure out what's really going on. Not so much based on twists, I don't think, but it just kind of seeps all this information to you. Um, But those of you who have seen Black Swan will probably see familiarities so it's about um, a girl, woman called Mima, who is a famous J-pop uh, singer. She's a star and she decides what she's going to do is become an actress. However, some of the roles she takes on are particularly brutal and include gang rape scenes in her role as they're trying to beef up her character in this um, this show. Um, so she's stressed even fu- she's stressed by that, but she's stressed even further by having a stalker, an online stalker, which I mean, bear in mind this is 1997, so this is like probably 1996 when it was written, like the early days of the internet becoming very popular, and uh, so it's about a, a stalker who kind of takes over her life a little bit. He's obsessed with her. And uh, he's not at all happy that she decided to give up her career as a pop star to take up some rather uh, risque, challenging roles and some of her modelling work. Um, And he starts gradually interfering more and more in her life to the point that Mima becomes a bit confused about what's reality and what's not 
So that's me being as vague as I possibly can be about what goes on in this. It's very good. I mean, I, I can't remember the first time I watched it. I think it probably wasn't that long after it came out, though. I think that probably would have been only a few years afterwards. Because we've got a DVD of it. And the DVD is, like, so old. I don't think it even calls itself a DVD. I can't remember what the actual wording is on the actual disc and on the case. But it's not It's not like VCD. I know it's not a VCD. It's an actual DVD, but they don't call it that. It's like a digital disc or something. And it, it, so, yeah, I can't remember the first time I've seen it. But every time I watch it, I've seen it a few times. It's just so... It's not trippy, but it just confuses you and, and purposefully. And I think the way that it does that is very, very clever. Because in the first sort of half an hour, what you think you're watching is just a um, a thriller about a uh, pop star who's stalked by a creepy, weird, obsessive bloke. But it's like, it's not that at all. There's There's so much more that it's about than just woman stalked by weirdo it's just so involved and so i i just i think i love the fact that it blurs all this stuff about reality what's what's imagined what is really happening and what is just the extent of like a sort of almost stress dream really like a blackout and stuff and it if what is happening to her who who's who's doing it why are they doing it um and on top of that it's just so fucking weird so like through the middle Maybe the um, maybe the third quarter of the film. Um, it's just so unsettling. I mean, it all it's all it, all of it has got this like underlying thing about obsession and stuff. But there's just like there's just something unnerving about it. But then the, that, like I say, that that third quarter of it is just so confusing, and you feel genuinely like as. Um, out of it as Mima does. You just don't really understand what's happening. And then it all kind of... I, I just l- admire the way that it all neatly brings everything back together again at the end. It's like, how does it take itself apart so well, like, so much, and then pull itself back together again so well? And yet you you still have an idea of what's going on. You understand that the plot, you know, like, by the, by the time it finishes, you know exactly what's happened and why it's happened to her. I just thought... It's great. I really highly recommend people who uh, really recommend Perfect Blue to people who've not seen it or even Matt, if you haven't seen it for a while, dig it out and give it another go because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by just how well it it holds up. It's it's great. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. And Matt, what have you seen? Yeah, I probably dropped a bit of a bollock of my choice because whilst (laughs) it's, it's an excellent film, it's quite difficult to talk about at length. It's something that you, you would have to sit down and watch yourself to, to truly appreciate. But I watched um, Pat Labor, which is one of Mamoru Oshii's earlier directed movies prior to him working on the original Ghost in the Shell. And it's essentially a film about a police department who make use of labels, which are giant uh, mechs that Japanese culture is pretty much obsessed with. And if you've ever played the video game Titanfall, almost an exact replica of what a labor is like. Um, The pilot can sort of climb into the sort of chest cavity of the robot and use it to do whatever they want. And it's gotten to a point in the near future where labors are used for everything, whether it's for defense, policing, or construction work, anything heavy like that. And there's such a company called Shinohara Heavy Industries have 
risen to fruition as a sort of dominant company that the Japanese government's entirely uh, dependent on, and as is everyday life in this modern-day version of Japan. However, things start to go wrong where suddenly uh, labels that are used for policing, for heavy construction projects, suddenly start going on the rampage, and no one can work out why. But it all basically coincides with the suicide of the lead programmer of the new operating system for these labels, who's kind of obsessed with religious iconography and uh, the Babylon story. And he's essentially killed himself having planted a, a dormant virus in the operating system for these labels and deliberately planned for them to basically turn against their masters, if you like. And it's quite symbolic in relation to Japan's dependence and their almost obsessive nature when it comes to embracing new technology and that's what the film kind of gets at but it's just a massive um conspiracy movie as they try to determine how and why this um this virus has entered into the operating system how it's going to affect uh government and political control over japan by bringing this company down because unfortunately the whole country is at risk because labels are so common and the modern day way of life is so dependent on them and you get a real uh, sense of where uh, Oshi is heading towards with Ghost in the Shell. He's already exploring this um, symbiotic relationship between humans and machines even at this early stage. This came out in 1989 and stylistically speaking um, in terms of quality of the animation it's actually very poor compared to something like Ghost in the Shell, um, Akira hadn't quite come out at this point, so we hadn't gotten to those super high um, production values of those type of movies, but you can sort of see it's the baby steps towards those two masterpieces that come in later years. And there is a direct sequel to this, Pat Label 2, which was again by um, Mora Oshi as well, and that only came out a couple of years before Ghost in the Shell. And whilst the this plots are very similar, there's a bit more action in Pat Label 1, whereas 2 is much more plot-driven. Um, but very, very highly rated. If you watch a lot of um, anime movies that were distributed in the UK by Manga Entertainment in the early 90s, you're going to recognise a lot of the voice actors if you watch the English dub of this, which I would highly recommend because it's very high quality. Uh, and overall, definitely one worth explaining. I think they're both rated way above a 7 on IMDb and very, very um, universally praised. And uh, I had them in my collection as a double set on VHS and I've re-got them again on DVD. They are excellent to watch and highly recommend you can check them out if you can find them. Well, Pat, I know Pat Label 2 is meant to be very, um, very highly rated, isn't it? I mean, not only because it was almost... It's it's almost the same team, isn't it, that worked on that, that worked on Ghost in the Shell. So yeah, it, pretty much. There's there's that link between the two of them, but I know it's I've heard more people talk more positively about the second one than the first. It, I would say two is better, but it's it's less accessible because it there's a bit more action in the first one, which makes it easier mm -hmm. for a first timer with anime to perhaps jump into. Whereas two, it's very uh, long drawn out. It's a long film. It's well over two hours. Uh, loads of dialogue and lots of undercurrent themes which um, Oshi's quite 
synonymous with like if you watch ghost in the shell there's so many metaphorical things going on there below the surface level that you might not pick up on them on a first watch but over repeat viewings you're going to find more and more to like about it and i'd definitely say that is the case for both one and two but particularly with part two a warning before any listeners continue this part of the podcast will be reviewing the new live action Ghost in the Shell and it will contain spoilers. So after we've just done the recommendations, uh, after we've done those coming up, the review of Ghost in the Shell will contain spoilers. If you don't want the film spoiled for yourself, then do not listen beyond that point. You have been warned. Um, but we're going to do some recommendations quickly for you now before we get on with that. So Matt, what are you recommending? I've cheated ever so slightly, but this was too good to resist. On um, Sunday, starting from 8am on uh, Sky Cinema Hits, they have all seven um, Fast and the Furious movies back-to-back all day. So if you need a good, cheesy, chill-out session on Sunday, that is the one for you, I think. That'll keep you very busy indeed. And Callum? My recommendation is, um, I'm, I'm going with, a, it's been out on Netflix this past week, uh, one of last year's best films, which I know is probably getting eyeballs from a lot of people, but it's true, um, Nerve, um, mm. which is added to Netflix, the uh, Henry Juice Daryl Shulman uh, thriller about um, online truth or dare, voyeurism, um, starting Dave Franco, Emma Roberts, and it's actually really, really, really good. I dug the hell out of it and only just missed out on my top 20 for last year. Uh, I'm going to go for 10 o'clock on Friday night on Dave is Blade. <laughs> nice. The first film I ever bought on DVD. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Owen. I, I'm going to pick a film recently added to Netflix as well. Uh, it's The Wailing, which was a Korean film from last year. Uh kind of supernatural but not really that supernatural it's kind of a crime thriller almost it's by um a fella called uh na hong jin who's very highly rated also stars quack do one who most people i guess will know because they've seen him in the yellow sea or they've seen nameless gangster or company man or berlin file or the attorney um he's been in loads of korean movies and he's fantastic in that in those and he's fantastic in the wailing as well give that a watch the Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. On then to um, our review of Ghost in the Shell, um, and the reason I didn't review anything in what we've been watching is because my anime film that I watched was the 1995 anime version of Ghost in the Shell. So before we go on to the new Scarlett Johansson uh, version, mm-hmm. um, you know, quick chat about this one. Now I'm not um, an anime aficionado, I wouldn't say I'm not a fan, I've not really seen enough of it to, to consider myself a fan. Um, strange in some ways, a lot of my friends at school were into it, 
But I don't know how they managed to actually get hold of it because being 30, still had the internet when I was at mm-hmm. school, but it was only just sort of becoming popular and mainstream. So quite how they were getting it easily, I don't know. But they were they were watching quite a bit of it. and I can answer that for you. Sci-fi channel. Yeah, exactly. The Sci-Fi Channel, Friday clock at mi- uh, Friday clock, Friday at midnight. Friday clock. <laughs> Fridays at midnight. They used to put on um, an anime, and it'd be a different one every week. So I watched Ghost in the Shell on that. I watched Akira oh. on that. Um, Wind of Amnesia, Violence Jack. Um, all those things were just shown on um, on Sci-Fi Channel. Now I feel like I've had a deprived childhood by not being aware of this. Like I, I, I assumed like Steve's friends were just getting like it from like dealers and that they're like <laughs> drug dealers, but just of anime. Just going like, hey guy, well, it's, you, want, you want the latest little anime I got here? Got got some good product here. Wow, that was amazing. But you, Steve, because we're like the same, <laughs> age. we're <laughs> we're the same age, so we would have been, I guess, like thirteen when they were on Sci-Fi Channel, and. Oh, and I would have been like three. Yeah, it would have been. There we go. Then yeah. explain Sam. But I definitely remember being too too young, apparently, to watch. I mean, I probably was for stuff like Ninja Scroll and Violence Jack. But like, I and Akira, I just did, I didn't understand. I don't think I was expected to understand it at sort of twelve, thirteen. But um, a game will go. Um, but yeah, I I think that's how most people got into anime when they were our age, um, and at school because it was just on sci-fi. It was. Great! It's just exposed to all these things. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, I just, I never, never, never picked it up that way. Whereas some people did, so they never really got into it. I mean, the closest I probably got to watching anime was was Pokemon. I didn't even watch the the, the show of that. I just got the trading cards because I had to mm. do something instead of football stickers. Not even the Game Boy season. just the trading cards. <laughs> no, I did play the Game Boy game, actually. That was all right. That was a good N64 game as well, I think. Pokemon what Stadium. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is more Matt's territory. Though. <laughs> anyway, that's all really irrelevant to what we're talking about. Um, but so, yes, yeah, so I hadn't seen uh, Ghost in the Shell, whereas pretty much everyone else had seen it a long time ago. It's from 1995. Um, and obviously it's the same plot as what the um the new one is it's, Ooh, it's that's a future. controversial statement let me stop you right there Stephen. <laughs> it says it says here in 2029 that's the future <laughs> can't argue with it and that's your basis for these are the exact same movie then it is that is that one opening line well We'll get to the particulars and why it's not quite the same. Do you know what I didn't realise as well until I I watched the anime again today? I I never realised it was in Hong Kong. I always thought it was Japan. I don't know why, but it's just, it blew my mind a little bit when I read that today. Or I saw it on the uh, DVD. Uh, Oh, actually, yeah, okay, that that makes perfect sense, actually, given the, um, like, events prior leading up to that, you know, like, the great, of the, like, the second, like, Eurasia War, whatever, and that, refugees coming in, like, like, refugees, yeah, 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 makes makes complete sense, yeah. And why the the Japanese guy is so very Japanese. Yeah. Anyways, anyways, Steve Steve was telling us about how these two movies are exactly the same. (laughs) Well, no, no, I wasn't quite (laughs) going down that route, but... Uh, so the anime was um, was what I watched. It's, it's set in the, set at a time when uh, cybernetic technology has helps the human body be augmented and improved or replaced or upgraded. Um, and I did enjoy it. Um, I thought it was 
it, I enjoyed the whole anime thing, really. The way it's the way, not the way it's shot, the way it's drawn, the way it's put together, the way it's the way it's made and crafted, and and voiced hmm. and styled. Um, I thought it was you know really impressive. It's the kind of thing that made me want to watch more anime, and it made me interested to see what a live action version of this would do. Um, despite the trailers not being that impressive to me, you know, not that gripping or making me that interested in it. Um, and the film was pretty similar for me, really. It didn't really have much of a, a lasting impression. But I don't know if other people thought see, the same see, or not. See, here's the thing. Like, because I, I went and saw Ghost of Michelle again, um, first time a couple of years in that, that uh, when it was re-released in cinemas back in January for uh, one day. Um, like, yeah, you know, it was like both anniversary and preparation for the new one. Um, and like watching it after so long away, I like I loved it because I, I think it's fantastic. But at the same time, I was watching it and I was just kind of utterly, be- like, like confused as to how it became this huge thing, like this huge crossover moment in the West, because it's such a deliberately dense slow introspective film like there's nothing in there that you could like show to uh like like there's very little in there other than just the general look and sort of texture of the film that you could show to somebody who was like like had never heard of anime before and watched it and like and sell them on it instantly of the one or two like iconic shots because if you were if you were watching anime even a couple of years before Ghost in the Shell came out, they were preparing for it in a big way. There was adverts for Ghost in the Shell two years before it came out. It was really, uh, really heavily banked on. Uh, and so everyone yeah. who enjoyed anime knew what it was way in advance, and it was hyped up beyond belief, and then just about everybody loved it, as yeah. you would expect. And then, of course, you have the after yeah. effect. Many years after Ghost in the Shell had been and gone and almost been forgotten about, The Matrix came along, and it was all sort of yeah. sold on this. Uh, this uh, without Ghost in the Shell, the Matrix wouldn't have existed. Blah blah blah. It sort of dug it up yeah. again for another audience. So people backtracked to go see. Well, if Ghost in the Shell is the film that inspired the Matrix, I need to find out what that's about. And it reintroduced it to another audience a, a generation later. And since that kind of falls in line with the the birthing of the internet as a popular medium, it's kind of sustained its own legacy in that respect through that. Um, not to take any credit away from itself because it's genius work in its own right, but um, mm. there's yeah. been multiple avenues in which this has been brought to the masses, if you like, rather than just the the actual impact upon the film's release. And this is why we get an expert on these panels. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I really have learned something there. Yeah, like especially since, like because I've, I've watched it multiple times, of course, and each time I kind of and I don't mean this as like an insult on that, but I kind of struggle to keep up in mm-hmm. a way because. Like, 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 because it's a very dense, like, yeah, you know, difficult, um, complex, mature film. But also, it's a very inherently Japanese story. Is Ghost of Michelle? This is an important factor we'll get into later, of course, with the new one here. Um, because of course, the manga of Ghost of Michelle was uh, published in 1989, film in 1995, um, and it came at the t- around about the time when Japan had um, essentially, in effect, recovered from World War Two. In a way, like 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 post Hiroshima, post um, you know, like uh, Berlin Peace Tree and all that stuff from out there. Um, like if, if it, it was a country that effectively had been stripped but stripped bare 
um, stripped of its military might forcibly occupied by American forces kind of beaten down and what Japan had done over the rest of the century there is re-establish its dominance of a world power through technology becoming the leader in world's technology um, such as like that China was for, not China Japan um, was like the technological hub of the world um, even by like the late 80s early 90s um, so it just said that at the time by the time Ghost of Michelle came out Japan of course was in this weird place where it was technically like one of the most powerful, important people countries on the planet, but could still barely defend itself if anything happened. And of course, Japan is still like smarting deeply, even to this day, from World War Two, from the crushing defeat, from the from the horrific deaths, from Hiroshima, all that stuff. Um, and that's kind of what goes to Michelle ends up. Um, working on specifically. I um, mean, certainly these are not thoughts that were taken from me. These were thoughts from. Um, comics writer John Suey um, uh, sorry if I pronounced the name wrong about that but went around last year but um, did actually perfectly explain this thing about here so that when Ghost of Michelle manga here like looks at things like um, transhumanism alienation about that what seems universal and there are a lot of universal themes in it are also so specifically culturally rooted in Japan of the late 80s and then when the, the, the anime came out early to mid 90s that you can't really properly translate Ghost of Michelle to outside of Japan without losing something unless you like change enough and even then you're not really doing Ghost of Michelle anymore that's what Wachowski sisters end up doing with the Matrix essentially is they change they're exploring similar sort of themes but they've switched it around to make it more culturally specific to the West whereas of course Ghost of Michelle is an inherently Japanese work like more than um, that statement usually comes when people just will just like toss that around, for example. But I mean, that's that's applied to everything. I mean, ev- anything from any other country mm. is unadaptable into a different culture, which I don't always agree with. Mm. I mean, Godzilla was always branded with that label. Again, another one I know, Matt, that you, you probably know ten times more than than anyone else on the podcast. Well, no, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's Japan's relationship and dependence on nuclear energy is the exact reason why Godzilla is exactly. so prominent in that country, but barely is a feature anywhere else, uh, commercially yeah. speaking. Yeah. And it's the exact same for Ghost in the Shell. It's Japan's reliance and dominance in the technology world that makes it so prevalent to their audience, and it becomes ever so slightly weaker the further you get away from Japan. But you could, but like I say, you could apply. I mean, let's just stick with Japan, for example, as well as things like Godzilla and Ghost in the Shell, all these um, uh, extravagant kind of um, uh, science fiction stories. You've also got uh, like Akira Kurosawa, for example, who makes, I think, very humanist stories. And they just happen to be Japanese. And I think that they work in other cultures, perhaps more so than stuff like Ghost in the Shell and um, uh, and Godzilla, because there's something that everyone can relate to in those. Which is why, like, for example, why his films have always worked when they've been adapted into, like, spaghetti westerns, you know, when your Jimbo yeah. is turned into, you know, Fistful of Dollars. It works because it's... You know, anyone can get that. Whereas there are things that are very culturally Jap- Japanese that he makes, like uh, Ran or uh, even Ikaru, something like that, where it's about a Japanese person and a Japanese culture that 
I, they still work in other cultures when you watch, which is the same reason why you can watch Ghost in the Shell and it still works here. I, I take your point though, Callum. It's very dense, and perhaps there are lots of things that go over your head. But there are probably lots of things that go over my head when I watch British films, and lots of things that go over my head when I watch American films that I'm probably not completely aware of, only because they're outside of my culture. Yeah. I don't think it necessarily means that they can't then be transposed into a different culture. I just think that. Yeah, you know, there'll, there'll be elements like, like, like say with the Kira Kurosawa specifically, the humanist element that is taken from them and put into other cultures. Yeah. I think that's probably the same, or at least what the attempt was with Ghost in the Shell was to take something that a part of it that everyone um, relates to, which is this um, fear of uh, technology, almost like this, this growing sense of artificial intelligence and people losing their lives to technology and obviously through social media and through although they didn't really play up the network particularly on the new film but you know all that kind of thing i think is something yeah. that can be taken from ghost in the shell and placed into a different different film and work like with the matrix however yeah. this is now going to yeah. sound like i'm trying to defend the remake when actually i wasn't too happy yeah. with it yeah no no like like like, like i feel like the thing like the capacity like it's perfect really that the film comes up with two exact easy to point to moments like at the very least like this is early on that prove exactly how wrong this translation goes okay uh the first is of course you know, the original ghost of michelle um has long like monologues and passages and that they're full of dense philosophical conversations and that they're spurting back and forth which can be hard to keep track of mm-hmm. but in a way that doesn't insult your intelligence it's dense, it's quiet, where well, you can get the general gist, but you get more of your study and able to keep up. The new Ghost of Michelle, in two minutes and 42 seconds, after the opening title start, like after the opening title's ended, has one character, has two characters, one played by Juliette Binoche, the other being the villain, turning and, go, like, having an argument of, you need to treat her like a, ro- like, she's not a per- robot, she is a person. The villain goes, she's not a, ro- I don't see her as a robot. She's a weapon and walks off. And that's literally a fucking line of dialogue left in the finished product of Ghost in the Shell. That really smacked of something that was written specifically to go in a trailer, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then the second part as well, again, is the fact that, you know, again, that Ghost in the Shell does have parts of, you know, the um, issues of government and fascism and and weapon and um, arming, like, you know, we- like um, technology to turn into weapons and all that stuff from that there. But it's ultimately like a minor part of the story again it, that's instead more about self like that is but, but you know about part of self about um dependence on technology transcendence and all that stuff um what the new ghost of michelle decides it, this the, the, the original ghost of michelle needed it, what it presupposes is that maybe governments and arms companies are bad okay <laughs> and that revenge is awesome and just just like i fucking i cannot i i, I fucking cannot I really can't. This is this is trash. I hate it. I fucking hate this movie. I, th- I really do. I think trash is a a good way of describing it because they they took something that was very intellectual and made it into something very an action movie, a twelve A action yeah. movie. For fuck's sake! They took any anything out Ugh. of it that could uh, not anything. I think there are things. In fact, that was one of the things I wanted to know. Really, was it? Did, Steve, did you watch the remake before the anime? Mm, no. Uh, okay, that's a shame because I, w- I would have liked to have seen what someone's reaction to the new Ghost in the Shell is if they hadn't already got the context of the original to pull it in. Because I think that the original, yeah. if even though they've changed a substantial amount in the remake, 
fills in a lot of the gaps that are left in the new film. Yeah, There's... yeah. Oh god, god, god. I, I'm so, I'm so fucking angry about that. So it's like, like the way that essentially the film is like it, it has a bog standard, boring revenge plot corporation thing, like stripped from like a really bad RoboCop fan movie. That <laughs> um, then goes ahead and smushes together elements from the from the original movie Ghost of Michelle, from Standalone Complex, Second Gig, and Arise, and just like smushes them all together hmm. into this kind of unholy abomination, failing to understand that all these different be- works are not like ghost like they have similar themes but they're also tackling different things in different ways and you can't just cherry pick and choose certain images and that there and expect to just fill that mm. in so that in the end what it proves is that the filmmakers here don't really so much care about the story as they care about the imagery of ghost and michelle of the visuals of ghost and michelle the ability to do the what do the river fight sequence even though there's no reason for that to happen there to do the diving sequence even though there's no reason for that to happen here at this specific moment to have to a the, random spider to do the bodysuit drop to do all that to yeah, to do the fucking spot. Jesus fucking Christ. Oh, God. But, like, the one thing that I was disappointed... I mean, I don't mind that they changed stuff. In fact, I was quite glad when I found out that they were going to change a lot of it. Because there's no point just going to see it just acted out with Scarlett Johansson and Peter no, Ferdinand. No, no, no. Especially, yeah, especially since, like, a lot of, um, like, film, anime, and that have, have drained it dry, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As yeah. well, like, in, like in the years. Because everybody's worked from it, and that, but in a way, but, like, the original Star's power, because the original is a unique, specific thing in that there, but, like, all the iconography in that has been taken off by other stuff. So, you, I guess if you have to make it, you do have to try something new, but just not this. No, it didn't really work. This. I mean, I love Peter Ferdinando, for example, and I think you already kind of briefly mentioned him as the corporate guy, because that's all he is in this, you know, there's no motive, it's like he wants to kill um, uh, Nina, do they call her Nina in this? No, I'm thinking... Of just call her mate, just call her major. major, we'll get onto that shit yeah, later. Yeah, so they, so like, they, they, um, he gets a bit fed up with her, doesn't he, at the end, he's like, oh, well, she's not working, and they go, oh, we'll just wipe her, and he's like, no, just kill her. It's like, why? What's the, what's the actual, I mean, there's, there's no motivation for him being evil in this. There's nothing... Yeah, I, like, I, like, like, what, 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 like when he when he kills Juliette Binoche, okay, like when he shoots her through the pl- pain, and that, like, and clearly, since apparently that glass is not bulletproof anyway, why wait until like Major gets to run out on that there? Like, why, why the fuck? Uh, no, did no nobody thought any part of this mm. movie? And Takeshi beat Katano could have been in this more. I thought as if they were going to keep him in as like the the boss, he. It gets very little to do other than turn up and beat Takeshi Beat Katano in a couple of scenes. He was cool right? as fuck, though. Every second he was on the screen. So I'll forgive them for that because they used him well. Did you think so? Yeah, yeah, mainly because he's beat Takeshi Katano, though, in fairness. And that it's just cool to watch him on screen doing his thing, yeah. But he's because he, he acts as like the far, almost like the father figure, right? Like he, he he's not so much there to hold a hand and stuff, but th- there's a relationship that could have been explored further. And I think that was the most interesting dynamic in the whole film was between yeah. um, Scarlett Johansson and Takeshi B. Kitano. There's the, there's something yeah. there that that's just like tantalizing you in, but the, then nothing happens with it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's like 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 our marquee and the rest of section nine smacked to me of people who were supposed to do stuff in an earlier version of this draft that immediately just got cut down in the end for the one woman mm. show of major. And especially like later on about that, where like in the original, there's all this stuff going on. Like it is technically major story, but she's there, not like, in it all the time, trip. is she? She she yeah, exactly. disappears yeah. for like five minutes completely out of the film. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. There's like a, there's a whole world around her about that. Whereas here, it does the usual 
fucking irritating American Hollywood blockbuster thing of having everything tie back to the protagonist in some way. Like, of having the protagonist and everything in that world revolves around them in some way. Um, Although I do... Especially, again, when we get near the end. But we can get there in a minute. But Yeah, I do like Scarlett Johansson in it, though. That's the irritating thing. Like, I'd be, I'd be all against it if I didn't think she was good. But I think she does all her action scenes brilliantly. I mean, you expect her to because it's Scarlett Johansson and we've seen her do it in... Lucy in um, the Avengers movies and whatever else you want to pick, but she 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 was good, and it's it's only like it's only frustrating that she's good because it means that you can't just go well it's you know useless character and useless actress. It's just like a not fleshed out. Excuse the pun. I I I I, I only really stretch to okay, but with the caveat that. Even though I think Scott Johansson is, a, is an incredible actress, and for the record, by the way, I saw Under the Skin again this weekend, mm. this week for the first time in three years, with a live orchestra, Mika Levy performing the score in front of us and everything. Wow. Okay, and I'm like, she puts in one of the best performances I've ever seen in that movie. But this kind of just proves that there really is only so far she can elevate material. Like, like she's clearly trying, but she's got nothing there to work with. Is the problem? Mm. Well, the problem is that the characters she's trying to portray doesn't really convey emotion based on the subject matter anyway the source material yeah uh the major is supposed to be essentially um emotionless so how can you elevate something when you can't go beyond a basic level Mm. uh, of acting emotion so all she can do is try to remain faithful to the source and she does okay with that well i think she twists it i think in if you look at the uh the character of major from the original there's one thing actually when we watched the, the anime today i thought uh, a thought occurred to me, which was that in that, it's very much like RoboCop in a way, in that it's a robot with a brain inside of it. It is RoboCop. Whereas I think, yeah, yeah it's, it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a cyborg, but it's a it's a robot that's got a human brain. Whereas I think in the, the new film, it's very much a person trapped inside of a robot, which is a different perspective. Yeah. And I think you... Yeah, be- yeah, because of the twist and my bad. But also, like, I'd say, like, no, I, I, I don't... You know, Scott Johansson actually done well. Again, with the under the skin thing in that there, where she's meant to be completely emotionless, yet you can still tell so much, like, through her sort of facial expression in that there. But here, she's just kind of stranded without a script that has that kind of mm. actual nuance in that there. So then the few moments when she does, like, just yell randomly, just kind of jar completely, because there's nothing for it. But it's why the ghost... The title Ghost in the Shell doesn't really work in this film. Mm. It's not... She's not a ghost. It's just a... Yeah. It's it's her inside of a shell. Yeah. Whereas, like, I mean, that's what I mean with ghost uh, yeah. in the shell. It's a, a shell with a ghost inside of it. So it, yeah, especially when as well when you look at the puppet master in yes the, um, the original anime manga that as well. Like that's the whole point. Oh god, shall we just talk about the fucking twist? Shall we just get that out there now? Yeah. Uh, Go for it. Uh, right. So yeah, spoiler talk. Major spoiler talk now for people. Um, you might be be aware, of course, that when Ghost of Michelle first was announced with Scarlett Johansson in the lead, people were might pissed. Mm-hmm. Um, they accused the film of whitewashing because it's a Japanese work that cast a white um, American actress in a leading role. Understandable, very pissed about that. Um, this film addresses that in a way. Yeah. Because you see, uh, the major of the film called Mira is not actually the major she is a per- she is instead she is Matoko Kusanagi because Matoko Kusanagi was a teenage runaway in the Japan Hong Kong weather the fuck this new one set who was kidnapped by evil governmental authority figures whatever map there as part of a whole load of other ones who are politically incendiary and forcibly transplanted into a ro- into a robotic body in order to serve their wills because 
fucking reason. So she is literally a young Asian girl who's been whitewashed into a white woman's body. And if you think the film actually does anything with this, then I've got some very bad news <laughs> for you. But uh, I, I'm not so upset about that as I think a lot of other people have been. I mean, I... W- what is... I want to say what's so bad about it. I mean, I don't mean like what's bad about it. Like, uh, cause we've had this discussion. We talked about it accidentally for like 45 minutes in the new section a few, <laughs> a few, um, a couple months back. But like what, what I'm not so bothered about is, um, that the whole thing about ethnicity in ghost in the shell in, in the original is that it, it doesn't really exist. Like the point of it is they're trying to eliminate it. Isn't it? I mean, they they have the titles yeah. that come up at the very beginning and say, you know, ethnicity is not real. Yeah. There's some people who cling to an eth- ethnic background, but it's not really a thing anymore in this world that they've developed where everyone's connected to the network because everyone is yeah. the same in a way. And that's what they're worried about yeah, see, is see, losing see. their individuality. And I... Yeah, see, see like, there, there is that. And then, of course, you know, you've got the thing in the backstory of the um, war. Um, yeah, because yeah. I've ever brought in a whole load of refugees. Like in a way, that kind of makes sense. Which of course is also the same thing that um, Shiro Masamune, um, the creator of the manga, when you know confronted with all this stuff from that, they explained that he's fine, Johansson. Um, the problem is twofold. Is first off, in order to accept that, you have to accept a long history of Hollywood erasing roles for Asian characters um, in favor of white people mm-hmm. um, in various ways. Uh, Again, that's not so much a fault of the movie specifically in that there, but it is you have to take into account, and it's still shitty behaviour. Um, and s- especially since, as the box office has proven, it's not like they need... It's not like a bankable star was going to save this, is it? <clears throat> hmm. right. The other thing is that the film doesn't seem to be in the slightest bit aware of what the fuck it's actually done. <laughs> now, look, if it actually used this as the opportunity... Because this is like... It's literally... Ha- the film is literally being handed golden gift wrapped the opportunity to actually like address the whitewashing concerns head on to you know like talk about um racial evasion that there in media in products and humanity and all that stuff from that there and what it does is absolutely fucking nothing because now it's time for our big third act revenge movie where fucking where the fucking villain was the best friend possibly lover of major but when they were both human beings because a fucking course um, like, and it just ignores it completely in a such a way that leads me to believe that the film doesn't actually understand what it's done, especially since at no point as well, and certainly if you notice with all the little glitches and that there, you still don't actually see the face of young Motoko in the slightest. So they've still erased the face of an Asian person out of their own fucking movie. Jesus God Christ. Mm. Like, like, it's, like it's, anno- it's annoying for me both for, for the unfortunate implications and for the fact that it basically, as a whole, represents a problem for this film of the fact that it doesn't give a fuck about any actual, like, important themes or examination out there. It just wants the imagery of Ghost and Michelle so it can make some cool action sequences and spend a shitload of money. Um, yeah, I mean, that doesn't actually have anything going on under the brain or anything interesting going on. And it's like, mm. that's the perfect emblematic moment of a film being gift wrapped. Uh, that's the... Something interesting, new and that there, and then purposely pissing it away. That's the biggest problem for me as well, I think, is that they, they had this, um, um, this brilliant, intricate story and, and just, just sucked out as much of it that was going to be too complicated for a 12A audience. Uh, not that I'm you know, criticising 12. I just think in terms of, like, I know it's quite a complicated story. It is very dense, I think, as we established. Um, but they wanted to just have a, a basic sci-fi action that looked good. And it did look good. I mean, I, I, if you can 
ignore the <laughs> fact that some of the story, like I say, you have to fill in blanks about the plot, you know, I, and that's why I'd be interested to know anyone who saw it without knowing the original. Did they get it? Because I think some of it was either too stupid, like Peter Ferdinando's character I mentioned, I just don't think there was any rational reason for him to do anything he did in the film. Um, and yeah. I, and other than just evil bad guys being Exactly, evil. he's the evil British bad guy in charge of a business. Yeah. Uh, and he's brilliant. Mm. Peter Ferdinando is brilliant in stuff. But I, anyway, um, so they... Like, they <laughs> he was Cosgrove in High he Rise. He was Cosgrove in High Rise. He was in uh, A Field in England as well. He was brilliant in A Field in yeah, England. He yeah. was in Hyena, which was very dark, but very good British movie. Yeah. He was probably really wishing Ben Wheatley called him for Free Fire right now, wasn't he? I imagine he hoped he got the call for that, yeah. Because in this, he, he was just reduced to, like, Liam Neeson light, um, but without any of the heroics. It was just... Uh... I keep confu- I kept confusing his face for Bradley Cooper, I'll be honest. <laughs> like, like Just like a weird mashup of Bradley Cooper and uh, T- Timothy Oliphant. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I, mean yeah. I, I struggled to... Again, like I said about... Um, Boy Next Door at the start. I struggled to hate it because there were things in this I liked. There were things I I did enjoy, but they, they were definitely on the visual side. But Matt, I mean, I don't think we've had an overall opinion from you yet. What, <laughs> I've been saving what, it. Have you been saving it? Okay, go on. Unleash <laughs> your opinion on us. Okay. Um, I think I'm guilty with this one of, based on all the early promotional stuff that I saw, I thought it was going to be right up my street. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm a bit guilty of perhaps um, building up in my head what I thought the film was going to be, or at least what I wanted it to be, and it failed on every single front. Um, oh dear! <laughs> uh, apart from it, it's stylistically easy on the eye, but that was the bare minimum it needed to be to do well. Um, I was excited when I found out about the casting of Michael Wincott, who's one of my favourite movie bad mm-hmm. guys, yes. and he, he's barely in there for five minutes, and he's characters truly irrelevant i was deeply hoping he was going to be the puppet master and they let me down big time on that one so that was a a bad start um little intricacies like the togusa character is quite important in the original ghost in the shell because he is the least cybernetic of the whole of section nine and he's kind of like the fallback as to why they should value their humanity because even though they have better tools for the job, cybernetically speaking, they still value him because he is the most human and he just uses an old yeah. Moctava rifle when he could use a much better semi-automatic weapon like the rest of them tend to use. But he's yeah. consistent and reliable even through his humanity and they don't explore that whatsoever in this movie. So that was disappointing. Oh. Oh god! Oh god! You 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 literally just reminded me of a way that like Ghost of Michelle explains Togus' character through having that monologue about the revolver, and then in this one they just go, "When are you going to get upgraded, Togus? Yeah. Never." So yeah, like like that, that's the way they do it. No fucking no- Jesus. Yeah, they just skimmed over that quite carelessly, so that was bad. The one plus side is the the casting of Bateau, um, the Danish uh, actor they got for that was on point. Yes, truly yeah. excellent mm-hmm. casting and very well uh, performed by him. So that was awesome, but. Are you going to try and say his name? No, I can't remember his name, so I won't even try it. Pilowaz? Yeah, Pilowaz. But the the big problem for me is uh, that it's basically just the rape of a big name as far as a certain alternative um, viewership 
truly values this movie and they're just, well, we're going to grab that name, we're going to grab the stylistic way that it's done that everyone seems to value and we're just going to bastardise it. I read a, a, an interesting review on IMDb after I came out of the movie just because I wanted to see if people were thinking about it the same way I did and most of them seem to, which is good. And someone called it um, McDonald's Sushi is basically how they summarise this yeah, movie. Yeah, it's like yeah. you take something Japanese, but you do it so American that it barely resembles what it yeah. was supposed to have been. And ultimately, it just entirely misses the point of what Ghost in the Shell is supposed to be because in the original yeah. anime, you have uh, Matoko Kusanagi. At every step of the way, she's either hyper-questioning the relevance of humanity, whether she wants to be human or whether it's even important to have any humanity whatsoever. Whereas in this live-action remake, she's all too aware that she is fake. And she's striving yeah, yeah. towards trying to find out what her real identity is. Whereas in the first, she doesn't yeah. know whether the fact that she has an identity is important or not. And it's yeah. the connection that she forms with the discovery of the Poppet Master, which is basically um, testing her emotions or lack of in, in the original one, or basically stimulating a feeling that she has whereby she feels that she can outgrow humanity or go, or go beyond humanity into something more unique and different. She's striding to be unique because at lots of different points in the film, she sees things that look like her or there's lots of... Um, resemblance to things that look the same time and time and time again basically there's replicas everywhere yeah that's what that entire middle uh, montage in the film is meant to be for yeah like, like it's pointing that in there precisely so i think they missed the point um they just yeah. basically stolen a, a franchise that's deeply valued to people and just crushed it um i don't know how i'd feel about it like owen says if i hadn't have so much affection for for the anime and just saw it cold probably think it was mm -hmm. okay but on an action level it doesn't satisfy me whatsoever plot is disgraceful um most of the acting in it's pretty bad as far as i'm concerned I, I, I actually nearly laughed out loud multiple times at Michael Pitt. I'm not going to lie. He's fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah, he's just angry, generic corporate dude with, without much of a point, like you've already said. Yeah. Um, the spider tank scene massively shoehorned in there without any real relevance whatsoever. I, I, I literally, like like when they, like when um, this excuse of a kuze they've got in here and that there was laying next to like the major and that there and they were trying to do that scene from the end of the, um, of the original anime you know, like where they both join up yeah that there i literally yelled out the screen do you 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 are completely <laughs> missing the fucking point of this move like of, of this whole thing and that there because like 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 i watch it, it what's worse for me is it even feels like a movie that doesn't even belong in 2017 like it reminds me of um, the late 90s, early 2000s, I think it was around about that time, that period in time when American Hollywood blockbusters would take properties from, I think, primarily Japan, 
bring the name and the iconic imagery over and then scrap basically everything else because they didn't care about the film itself. They just wanted the name, the name yep. and the imagery and the chance to do that. I think that was mainly the J-Horror thing that they did that stuff with, right? Um, like, like, so to get one of those in 2017, directed by Rupert Sanders of Snow White and the Huntsman, so of course it's fucking dull as shit as well. Um, like that, like, it's baffling to me. It's baffling that this thing exists. Like, literally the only nice thing I can say about it, I wouldn't even go visually. Like, mainly because, like... Yeah, it's distinctive. It's also just too busy. It's just them throwing 900 different bits of Asian iconography at one, hoping that the sheer overload is going to be enough to make you believe that it's somehow a cohesive world, when yeah. it's not. It was also um, too futuristic for me. Um, whereas in yeah. the anime, okay, they have all these cybernetic augmentations, but it's kind of grand in reality. And the yeah. um, Hong Kong, Tokyo landscape, whatever you want to call it, in that... It's only ever so slightly into the future. It still looks very old and urban decay, whereas this is all super neon and massive corporate iconography and, and visuals everywhere. And it's just like, yeah. this is this looks like it's about 500 years further into the future than Ghost in the Shell should be. Yeah, especially... Yeah, especially since, well, like, the whole worn-down, like, decaying streets and that there is also perfectly befitting the point of Ghost in the Shell as well, like, the rusting of technology, like, the the embrace of technology over more mundane, like, humanity concerns as well. Like, you have all this pristine technology, like, contrast against these dirty slums and all that stuff and that there for focusing on that. Whereas here it's just, let's put everything on the screen and hope that you somehow believe it's a real world mm. when it doesn't. It just looks like somebody's having a field day at the CGI department. <laughs> Whereas like, the only nice thing to say about it is that um, Cliff Martinez and Lorn skull score is fantastic. Um, and it deserved a far, yeah, far, yeah. Mm-hmm. far, far better movie. Mm. It deserved a far better movie than it was attached here. Oh, I almost completely forgot as well. Um, I, I, I just love how they erased the mages' bisexuality. Love it. Love how they just completely erased the major's bisexuality. Completely. While they were busy erasing yeah, the, ca- the character. Well, love it. Adore it. Love that. Love to see myself we're, being removed from film. We think the bit where Brilliant. she was um, like stroking that woman's face. That yeah, was but, all, yeah, like, the whole a, point wasn't a sexual slight was about. at that. When was she bisexual in the original? I mean, no, you, she doesn't really explore sexuality in the original, uh, other than the fact that she's completely, she's completely, um, she's a robot. That's the point. I mean, yeah, she, she she doesn't see that Bato's obviously in love with her. Just completely doesn't yeah. see the signs of yeah. that whatsoever. In the yeah, yeah. But we don't we don't yeah. see any exploration of yeah. sexuality. If anything, other than the fact that her shell has breasts, she's fairly. Um, yeah neutral sexually speaking um yeah i mean i mean i think i'm taking my ma- my readings of that mainly from the standalone complex mm-hmm. series stuff from that there where it explores that kind of stuff a bit a bit more on that there but yeah right. God. Oh, oh but they do have time for a trans joke loved that loved that jesus fucking christ this movie oh god i i i, I so, so sorry for interrupting everybody's nice wrap-ups here about that i just wanted to mention one last time i was not a fan no, of this movie and i would say in summary that um I wasn't at any danger at any point of leaving the film early, but I was like, my arse was off the seat before the credits roll, put it that way. And um, I think the, the only... F- did, you, did you give it a nice big raised middle finger when it tried to play the original theme yeah, over the credits? Yeah, I did or... actually, because I was, like, I was like expecting it to be at the beginning and it wasn't. So like, when it's not at the beginning, I don't expect it to be there at all. So just throwing it in at the end just so they can say, yeah, you go, here's your bone, fanboys. Uh, wasn't impressed by that. But um, overall... I would say the the one thing that I would take from this live action remake is that Scarlett Johansson's haircut was very nice. 
and the rest of it was pretty <laughs> drip drab. You know? And Rupert Sanders probably just shouldn't be making films yeah, again. Brooke had made the link between her and um, uh, Imogen Poots from Green Room. He put a picture of Poots from Green Room <laughs> on his uh, review, which is a spitting image, I have to say. Same haircut, same clothes. It's yeah. quite funny. I love the haircut. I think it's very stylish, very cool. But uh, the rest of it... <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, well, well, at least Imogen Poots isn't tanking a career by appearing in yeah, this. True. She just stars in Need for Speed movies yeah. instead. I think as a, as a casual film viewer, I need to stop um, building images in my head about what I want these type of films to be when I know that they're coming out. Like Godzilla just went through the floor for me because it was totally different to what I hoped it was going to be. Mm. And Ghost in the Shell, yeah. we did, like Owen said before, we don't want it to be a one-for-one remake. Um, but it has to be respectful to the source material. And I don't think it was enough. They've basically just taken the style of something that people think is really cool, shoehorn an Avenger in there so kids will go see it with their dads, which is what happened in my screen. There's loads of kids in there. I couldn't believe it. And uh, yeah, they've, they've tried to make a pre-summer blockbuster, which is going to fall flat on its arse, I think. Yeah, no, it has, it has. But so, are you saying this is a shell with the ghost of the original in it? Is that what we're <laughs> not saying? even uh... <laughs> right? We're done. Let's say the uh, <laughs> yeah. the ghost. Yeah, the ghost just... has been hacked. But the shell yeah. is something. I, I I just I just genuinely do not know who this movie was supposed to be for. Quite frankly, I don't know who was supposed to enjoy it. Like like that. That's the thing I get most of all. Free Blade Runner warm up, basically, isn't it? Flashy visuals. Yeah. Yeah, like 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 I watched that, and e- like even distancing myself, you know, as a fan of the original, I sat there and I thought, who of a, who of a normal person is going to sit here and be actually thrilled by what happened? Like, because c- all of his visual tricks have been done better elsewhere. Um, its action is flat and uninspired. Um, un- like uh, the whole film is fucking sluggishly paced. Not surprising, given that it's a Rupert Sanders movie, and I actually watched No White the Huntsman and felt seasons change outside. I'm not <laughs> kidding. It's fucking... That, that movie goes on forever. Um, like, it's not even... It, and it achieves a baseline level of competent... of, like, technical competency where it's not even fun to mock. Like, like, like if it were... Ch- if it were actually, like, physically just, like, bad, like, properly like poorly made him out there there'd be something here but instead it, it's just it's like most forgettable blockbusters nowadays except this one tried to do it to ghost and michelle and ghost and michelle deserves far better than being this the, the newest coat of paint you slap on the generic hollywood blockbuster mm. like it, it's a, it's an insult it's trash and i hate well on that note then i think we should uh, end our review of ghost and michelle and this week's podcast <laughs> thank you all for for listening um, oh, and next week I'm guessing is is Fast and the Furious Eight. No, that's two weeks away. I thought that was. I thought that was released yeah. this week. Ne- nope, nope. Next week is Boss Baby. Except that, that came out on Saturday for some it reason. It is Boss so. Baby. Callum is correct. <laughs> that is the main review. Um, I think there's might a, be a triple bill then. There's a. <laughs> yeah, there's um. Look, it could be worse. It could be Smurfs for Lost Kingdom. Okay, that's actually crap. There's, so there's, there's my mini review of Smurfs Lost Kingdom. It's crap. We Go might just it. review Free Fire then. Because we bumped it from this episode, who knows? We might just bring it back just so we can talk about it instead of oh, Boss Baby. We, we could get Steve to watch Legend of the Overfiend. <laughs> yeah. He likes his tentacles. Mm. Uh, there'll be films and stuff next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.